Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. I hope you have a meaningful Memorial Day. Um, I'm really excited to be with you. We're going to continue on with our series, Foundations of the Jesus Life. So I'm excited. Are you excited? So if you, saw, if you saw me and Jerry in the front row chuckle for a minute, it's just because we ended that announcement video with goodbye, and then all of a sudden, very serious video. And so, you, so then you feel like, oh, you feel like bad, bad for laughing when the video started, because you know, it's me and Allison singing then that video, which was beautiful. So don't feel ashamed, don't feel bad, it was okay to laugh. I release you from that. Someone says good. Good. All right. Well, hey, let's dive into the word today. Um, after this week, I'll be on vacation in Florida. So, so we're very excited, me and my family. We were going to pack all five kids into our pilot and drive to Florida. We have heard the word of the Lord and we are going to fly instead. <laughs> yes, Lord, in worship, I heard. Okay. So we're really excited. Um, but today, um, closing my portion of the foundations of the Jesus life, today I want to talk about union with Christ. So, we have dived into the foundation of our faith, right? Being rooted in his word and being rooted in worship. Now, these, things too, these two things, they go together like breathing, right? So, the word of the Lord, the breath of the Lord was breathed into us at creation, and then we exhale that in worship, Right? So this inhale, exhale, word, worship, are the breath that gives life to our union with Christ. This is the cornerstone of our foundation. Our prayer life, our study of his word, our worship are all oriented around an eternal soul-seeking union with the Father, right? So the same breath that he gave when he spoke life into existence is the same breath that resides inside of us. And our exhale becomes worship. You can take a deep breath, go. That exhale becomes worship when we exist in a state of communion with God. And we can give this breath of life that he gave us back to him as a gift. So open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're gonna go in verse 16 through 18. I'll give you a minute to get there. Okay, that's enough. Verse 16, this is a sword drill. Does anybody, is anybody old enough for sword drills? Anybody remember those? Who was a sword, sword drill champion? Do I see any hands here fast? People know where their books of the Bible? I see that hand, Danielle. I was not that fast. I, I struggled. I had a precious moments Bible. There was a lot of pictures in that. So it was hard, it was hard to find it. You know, there's a lot of pictures, angels, things like that. Okay. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. 16 says, Rejoice always and pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Now, when I heard this verse growing up, I always used to think to myself, that just sounds exhausting to pray without ceasing. I mean, how do you do that? Because in in, in my mind, you know, as, as a kid, prayer is talking to God, not necessarily the conversation of him talking back. So I'd go into my devotional times and just talk, 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 talk. But the Passion Translation sheds a little bit of a new, like, 
like fire, new light on this. I wanna read it to you in that next. It says, let joy be your continual feast. That sounds tasty. Let's keep going. Make sure, make your life a prayer. And in the midst of everything, be always giving thanks for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. So in one sentence here, we get some really amazing instruction. Because if you look around in the world and the people that you're connected to, what is a recurring theme? A lot of us feel a lack of purpose, especially those who don't know Jesus. They don't feel purpose in their life, right? So knowing that there is a plan for their life would be something that would transform the way that they live because most people are living day to day, chasing what makes them happy. And then in the Christian walk, it is so easy to kind of buy into that theology that says that God just wants me to have my dream and wants me to be happy, right? But even though those are byproducts, because I do believe that God puts dreams in our hearts and cause them to come to fruition. But I also believe that he is the dream. He is the prize. He is the reward. And when we focus our, our love and affection and attention on him, then all of our dreams, it's not like they get tossed to the side or they're unimportant or they're not observed. They, they just get tossed into the hands of a God who knows every detail of your past, present, and future, who is orienting your life into his purposes. And it says in the word that he has a plan that is good for you. In Jeremiah 29, before you were even knit together in the womb, I knew you. I had a plan for you, right? So this verse, it can go whoosh right over your head and miss it, where, where we say rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Okay, I'll pray as much as I can and everything give thanks. I'll be grateful, you know, when I can. I'll pray before I eat. But when you look at it this way, make your life a prayer and in the midst of of everything, be always giving thanks for this is God's perfect plan for you in Christ Jesus. Perfect plan is coming before the Lord, making our life a prayer. Now, why? How do we make our life a prayer? Let's start there. So I remember couple of years ago, my kids were all in the one to five range. Now, I can't tell you with specific certainty how old they were because as many parents in the room know, the days are long and the years are short. <laughs> I've heard that phrase. For those of you who are like, I don't understand that, when you have kids, it'll travel from your head to your heart. You'll get that revelation. <laughs> the, the days can be long, but the years are short. So looking back on it, we were in maybe our, our first house that we were at when we had the kids. And I am on the couch. I think it's my day off. This is, I don't know the details leading up or where I was working at that time or whatever, but I was sitting on the couch and I was trying to read my Bible and I was trying to pray. And kids, if they like you, they want to play with you, right? I mean, I'm a, a lot of parents in the room, when you come home, are you able to do much at first? Because for me, I get cannonballed. Like my kids have forgotten that like, you know, if you headbutt somebody, even in the hip, it hurts. So they run like this, like that to cannonball me. Anyway, so it didn't really change much back then. So they, they come on the couch and they cannonball and they're like, Max, play with me, daddy. That's how he talks. Yawan, that's, that's his like phrase. I don't know where he gets the voices from. Um, well, he comes up and I'm trying to read the Bible. I'm trying to be spiritual, okay? I'm trying to connect with the Lord. And I'm getting clobbered by these little 
munchkin meatballs that are trying to like steal my attention from the Lord. Now we have this, just to give you the specifics because I love imagery when I'm telling a story, is um, when Josie was born, the first stuffed animal I ever got her, it was the only one, well, it wasn't the only one. It just felt like it was perfect. I was trying to make it look better. They had this giant, it's gotta be like 15, 20 pounds, big fat ladybug. It's like this big, big wings. It's great. I named her Meriwether. So they, they, they wanna play this game, Meriwether, all the time because Meriwether takes all the toys into a spaceship to other planets. So, I mean, pretty exciting. So I remember them hugging me for a minute and saying, Dad, Dad, play Meriwether. We want to go to space. And I said, okay, okay, okay. I'll come up in a little bit. Go, 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 go. I'm, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to read the Bible, right? So they ran upstairs and I was trying to focus in. And up to that point, when I was reading the word and I was praying, I, I sensed the pleasure and the closeness of God and the presence. I love feeling the Holy Spirit in, our, in the living room. I love feeling him in, in the normal spots of our life. It's amazing. Let me tell you, if you only feel him or focus in your attention when you're in this room, you are missing out because the sweetest times of the Holy Spirit are in those everyday moments of your life. He's interwoven into your life. Do you realize that? So when you're driving your car, when you're taking taking a shower, when you're eating your lunch, when you're at work, he is in those moments. And the sweetest moments in his presence are always those. So I'm sensing that. I'm sensing his closeness. I'm really happy about it. And the kids run upstairs and all of a sudden it felt like the Lord had departed. <laughs> I was having a hard time focusing and I was like, what is this? I rebuke you, Satan. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm gonna get into this word. And then, you know, after kind of like a few minutes of just praying and trying to power through, I felt like the Lord kind of was like, <clears throat> Jay, Jay, I'm finally listening. I had this revelation, okay, the Holy Spirit left my room. Not that, you know, okay, don't let your theology wigs and hats fly off. I know he lives in you, okay? I'm just saying the manifest tangible presence of God, you know, that increase, that warmth, that, that delicious presence. Um, I felt like it went upstairs the moment my kids did, right? So I go running upstairs. Well, and run, I mean, just like kind of quickly. And, and I get up to the room and my kids are playing and their faces light up and they say, let's play. And the thing that kind of shocked me is I realized that the whole room was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. The whole playroom was filled with the presence of God. Okay, And so the Lord was trying to teach me something because in that moment, I also remembered something else. I want to take you kind of back in your own story now with, with your past and your, your childhood. Are there any specific memories in your childhood that were exceptionally happy that you can remember? If you can, pull it to the forefront of your mind right now. I can think of a couple. For me as a kid, the happiest I remember being was when I was in the basement playing with my sister. You know, you play this game and it would feel this joy that was above the game that you were playing. Although, as you heard, we take things to space. My games are pretty awesome. But <laughs> So in your, in your childhood, do you remember that? Do you, do you remember that joy, that feeling, that lift in your chest, that kind of hopeful anticipation? The revelation the Lord was teaching me was those childhood memories, that fondness, isn't just because of your innocence and youth. It's because of, it was the presence of God before you could put language to it, right? Because he loves to be with us. When you're a kid, he loves to play with you. As an adult, he likes you too. It just sounds weird to say. <laughs> now, our joy in those moments 
It wasn't just us alone. It was the joy of our father being present with us because in the same way that you like to play with your kids, he loves to play with his. He loves to be in the middle of it. So how many amazing ideas or creative things do you think that the Lord was just kind of in it with you as a kid? He was all over that, right? Number two, I realized that our life can become a prayer because he's invested in every part of our lives, not just the ones that we deem to be spiritual, not just the ones that we deem to be categorically devotional related, like reading the Bible, even though y'all should be reading. I preached that two weeks ago. (laughs) But it's not just exclusively in there. He's involved in our lives, whether we're speaking to him directly or not. Do you get that? Like heaven does not turn off its faucet because you have been busy. He is not a negligent father. So when you're not paying attention to him, he does not just leave your life. He is present. That's why you read it in scripture and you see songs and songs written about it. Let us become more aware of your presence. It's all about that. It's all about becoming aware, more aware that he is here and in your life. So if we could just remove that negative heaviness that says pray without ceasing as just one more thing I've got to do and start to look at it as something Making my life a prayer is something I am privileged to do. That he is involved in all areas, not just when I'm doing really good at the checklist that we've decided has deemed spiritual, spirituality in America, but, but something deeper than that. Because I'll tell you what, a lot of the stuff that we deem to be the only spiritual things comes from a cultural mindset of achieving and doing more, more than being, Right? How, you talk to your friends. We talked about this last week. You say, oh, how you been? Everybody's response is always the same. Been good. Busy. I've been really busy. Right? But God is not wanting to just fit into your checklist of, okay, I'm going to be disciplined and do this and then move on to the next segment of my life. He wants it all. He wants everything. So hop on over to Matthew 18. you know, he's involved in your life and it's our awareness of him that increases our ability to appreciate him, right? Okay. So I'm gonna help you to kind of get into the mindset of a child. I'm very good at that. That's where I live a lot. So in verse one, it says, at that time, the disciples came to ask Jesus, who is considered to be the greatest in the kingdom realm? Now pause for a second there. Why are you asking that question? If you're standing in front of a spiritual leader who you respect to the moon and back, and you're trying to ask him, who is greatest? Because I want to be the greatest. I want to be the greatest of all time, the goat in spirituality. I want to be the greatest. Tell me how I can do it. What can I do in my checklist? What kind of disciplines can I implement to be greater than everybody else around me? Right? Jesus answers, he calls a little one, In the Greek, it means like toddler. And he said, learn this well. Unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and become teachable like a little child, you're never gonna be able to enter in. Whoever continually humbles himself to become like this child is the greatest one in the kingdom realm. And if you tenderly care for this little one on my behalf, you're caring for me. 
Now, this is another verse. I'm gonna just tack this on so you get it. But in verse six, but if anyone abuses one of these little ones who believes in me, it would be better for him to have a heavy boulder tied around his neck and be hurled in the deepest sea than to face the punishment he deserves. So is Jesus hyperbolic? Does he say things just to be provocative and shocking? Or does he mean what he says? So when Jesus says, it would be better if we went to the mountain and tied a boulder to this person's neck, he's being serious. Okay? So we want to know the secret to being the greatest, but I'm, let's pivot just a little bit because we're talking about union with Christ, right? So we have his word that we receive and is spoken to us and worship that we breathe out and that exhale gives life, but gives life to what? It gives life to our union with Christ. At the core of all of those disciplines, at the core of all of those expressions, our goal is union with Jesus, right? Okay? So how do we achieve that? How do we make our life a prayer? We start to kind of dive into the mindset of a child because the Lord told us that if we want to be able to enter in, we have to become like this child. So one of the gifts of childhood is being present to the moment, right? If you talk to a kid, are they concerned about their 401k? I mean, my kid might be. We're looking for a house right now and um, we've put in offers everywhere and Josie is in the back seat and she's like, do they accept our offer? And Josie says, hold on, kids. She said, they gotta accept the offer. And then after that, they're gonna have the inspection. And then after that, there's the appraisal. <laughs> She's first grade. It's just fun. I was like, you're a smart one. I forgot about that. Okay. So if you talk to a kid, they're connected to the presence. It's, it's one of the reasons why love, creativity, joy, play comes so natural to them because they're not trying to be a million miles away, right? Um, I mean, it's another reason why if they want something, like my youngest Madeline, sweetest little treat in the world, she has this thing where she wants milk and she has this voice where she goes, I want milk, milk. And it's just, it's cute, but also you hear it 30 times, you're just like, oh, oh. But for her, she doesn't have milk in her hand right now. She's not living in the future. She's not thinking about the past. It's never gonna happen if you don't do it right now instead of a child, right? So it's us, the grown-ups. We're kind of living far away. So maybe a couple of decades ago, our parents were preoccupied with work, right? Or depending on your age, maybe you were working. <laughs> um, on a landline, for those of you who are young, a landline is a phone that's plugged into the wall. You know, you couldn't put it in your pocket you know, it was a little bit heavy too. If you, if you have an old enough one, you had to pick it up. And to shock you even more, they didn't even have buttons. Sometimes you had to do the spinny thing that had the numbers on it. It's really wild. Um, sidebar, this isn't spiritual, I just want to tell you. So show me across the room, what happens when you're trying to mime that someone's on the phone? Show me your gesture. They go, someone's on the phone, right? Like this. Do you know what they're doing now? I did it the other day. I was like, I'm on the phone. And Joseph goes, what is that? <laughs> this is the phone. I used to be asleep when I was a kid. It's, a, it's an iPhone now. I know, right? 
not trying to make you feel old, just trying to make you experience me, my, my experience. All right, um, but now, <laughs> if you look at the tables around you when you go out to eat, or when you're on vacation at the beach, driving by and you see parents walking out with their kids on the bus stop, what do you see? Gave up social media a couple, like six weeks ago, and I will tell you what I see. I see, where's my phone? There it is. See, oh my gosh, just that. That's what I see. Parents carrying their kids like this. The food on the table, got to take a picture first, depending on the person. Then the rest of the time, just kind of staring down at their phone like this while their families are just eating, right? So I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're mindlessly scrolling through Instagram. I don't know if they're on their text messages. I don't know if they're on the, the internet looking up some kind of random factoid. But it's us, the grown-ups. We're kind of in a digital planet a lot of the time. How often are you connected and present to your life? Is my question today. Because those moments, you know, the funny memories you have, eating dinner at the table with your family or or laughing or, you know, conversations that happened, those aren't happening like they used to anymore. Not without a degree of intentionality from the parents, right? People are kind of always far away. Did anybody read Calvin and Hobbes growing up? The comic? My favorite one is um, his mom's trying to read a magazine on the beach and he's just Calvin's just harassing his mom she says Calvin can't you see I'm trying to read and Calvin goes to Hobbes later gosh you ever notice how tense grown-ups get when they're recreating (laughs) 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 and it's true right we get tense when we're recreating but the problem is now we recreate all the time right we are always kind of recreating we are always wanting to be entertained boredom is officially dead it doesn't exist anymore. We're always being stimulated, entertained, or pulled somewhere else, right? So if you've been struggling to feel your connection with God, it may not be, it may be that you're not totally present in your life right now. Maybe that you aren't connected to the moment because you're too busy in tech. And it's made it so easy to be absent, hasn't it? Hasn't this just been incredibly easy? We don't have to meet in person anymore, right? We can FaceTime, we can Zoom, We don't have to have a conversation even. We can text each other or we can send an audio message, which I still don't understand why people do that. People do that. We don't have to go to a restaurant. We can door dash it. We don't have to go to the movies. We can get it on Prime. We don't have to play games in person. We can do it on the Xbox now. When I was a teenager, you had these crazy teenage guys bringing in seven different really heavy TV sets and plugging them into the rooms and have a halo party and there's like eight TVs you link together. Am I speaking someone's love language right now? Yes, I see that hand, thank you. But now you don't have to. Now they've got their headset and it's just a box. You don't have to be in the, in the same place with somebody. You know, my wife likes to play halo from time to time. I hear talking to the boys while they play. We don't have to meet someone to date them anymore. I'm told that we can swipe left or swipe right based on a very doctored intentional photo. (laughs) We don't have to watch a show at a certain time anymore, right? In fact, we don't prefer it. We wanna stream it and watch it for 12 hours until our brain is a bowl of tapioca. We don't have to go to the mall or grocery shop if we don't want to, I know a lot of us do, but we, we, we can get it on Amazon, right? Probably for cheaper. It's not true. That's what they want you to think. Or on Instacart, 
you can have your groceries delivered. Now, now get this, I'm trying to break it down. We don't have to wash the dishes and look out the window anymore and ponder the transience of life. We can listen to a podcast or music that will do that for us. We have lost the gift of boredom. I would go so far to say that our lives are so connected, so entertained and given over to instant gratification that the idea of silence is kind of rare. If someone's sitting in silence, we generally think that there's something wrong with them. There's a few screws loose or something, just staring. The idea of meditating on the goodness of God is difficult because our brains, as I've mentioned before, have the attention span of less than a goldfish at seven seconds. So, but, but don't worry, you don't even have to meditate on that anymore because there's apps for that now. Music and guided meditation, both spiritual, secular humanism and Christian. So you can listen to Christian meditation. You don't have to think about it for yourself. Sorry if you like those apps. I'm really not trying to make you feel bad. My point is, if we want our lives to be a prayer, then there has to be a place for nothing, nothing in our lives. We need peace and connection to the moment, independent of all of this digital clutter in our lives. So many of us probably feel like there's no space for this intentional time with the Lord, right? And why is that? It's because our culture is designed to eliminate that space. We are the product, right? So many of the things and modern conveniences we have are catered to us and they pull our attention and our focus so that we consume more. So intentional time alone with the Lord, we might not have time for that. Has anyone ever felt that before? I don't need to see a raise of hands. I don't want to make, but you know, I felt that. If you felt like you didn't have time for the Lord, the best trick to figure that out is to open up your phone, I know kind of counterintuitive, and scroll left and look at your screen report. Some of y'all see like three hours and 45 minutes on Instagram. Some of y'all see like an hour and 20 on your text messages. If you wanna know where your time is going, this thing is a, a time eater. It'll suck your life and time from you. And you could take a look right now and see what it looks like. I think that, that our, our conveniences, our technology, our, our desire and thirst, like we're cracked out on entertainment is the biggest inhibitor to union with Christ. So somebody has to sound the alarm on this because for your life to become a prayer, how, how does that happen? You gotta find a term called soul rest. Now, my brain is kind of a mile a minute kind of guy. Like I'm always thinking about something. I'm always reading a book. I'm always trying to create something. Like if there's a space of time, I'm probably gonna start writing a song or something like that because I just, you know, it's how I'm wired. So one day Pastor Steve told me, I need to learn soul rest. And so of course, what do I do? I go into an in-depth study about what soul rest is. <laughs> He probably meant take a walk. <laughs> but what is, what is soul rest? Now, understanding soul rest, like I mentioned, you need the mind of a child because it's a truth that has to be revealed in the spirit. It's not a natural revelation. You see, soul rest can't be granted by like your perfect unwinding prescription, right? It can't be granted by your favorite movie, your favorite book, your favorite walk, your favorite place. Because I don't know if you've ever experienced this. A lot of times in our future, we'll imagine, man, if I could just be not at work and doing this, I would feel so amazing. And then you get that time off and somehow that pie in the sky stuff that you said you would do doesn't appeal. It doesn't feel good when you're watching that movie. You say, I've watched this movie 80 times. Why did I want to watch this so bad? 
what do I do now? You know, they call it a show hole. It's kind of like entertainment hole. Like, what do, I, what do I do next? What do I find next? Okay? Soul rest can't be granted by any of those things. They're, they're all soothing, but they won't give you soul rest. You see, Jesus talked over and over in parables because they were designed to bypass the intellect and engage the spirit, right? So soul rest is a spiritual revelation. And before we talk about what it is, I want to teach you how to find it. Hop over to Matthew uh, chapter 11 and verse 25. I'll give you a second to get there. All right, that's good. Then Jesus, where my sword drill people, I see that. They were like in it to win it. I see that. You know, I I do, I know that I've been dissing phones real hardcore, but I love the Bible app. I love how fast I can find things. Um, In verse 25, Jesus exclaimed, Father, thank you. This is a passion translation. For you are Lord the supreme ruler over heaven and earth. And you've hidden the great revelation of your authority from those who are proud and think they are wise and unveiled it instead, you guessed it, to little children. Father, you've chosen this gracious plan to extend your kingdom. You've entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. I want you to say that also. You've entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. One more time, you've entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. Let that revelation hit. Jesus said that he has entrusted Jesus. The Father trusted Jesus with this and he gave it to us. He's entrusted us with all that he is and all that he has because we're in the family of God and everything that Jesus has, he gave to us when we were adopted into the family, right? So verse 26, continuing on, it says, yes, Father, you've chosen this gracious plan to extend your kingdom. Oh yeah, I'm in the wrong spot, forgive me. No one fully knows and intimately knows the Father except the Son, but the Son is able to unveil the Father to anyone he chooses. Powerful. 28, are you weary carrying a heavy burden? Come to me. I will refresh your life for I am your oasis. Real, real quick, dictionary.com, insert right there. Oasis is a fertile spot in the desert where water is found. So when it says, I'll refresh your life, I'm your oasis, in a desert of overconnection, in the desert of burnout, where everybody's so busy and everybody's so tired and exhausted all the time, mentally, emotionally, and physically, all that. He said, I will refresh you and I will be the water in the middle of this desert for you. I am your oasis. How do we do this? You simply join your life with mine. Now pause there for a second. This actually means, if you don't have the Passion Translation, they'll get it, because the notes are amazing. This phrase actually means, bend your neck to my yoke. So simply join your life with mine also means, bend your neck to my yoke. As we know, that's a metaphor that joins two animals together. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, and easy to please. There's probably nobody else in your life, culture, marketing, all that stuff, it, it feels like it's impossible to please everybody, right? There's like a whole list of things that you have to do, and even then, you're not gonna please everybody. There's even songs about it, it's not new. You know, you can't please everyone, so you've got to please yourself, no? 
that God, the person with the highest standards of all time, the person who wrote the fabric of our being, created everything you see, he said, bend your neck to my yoke, learn my ways, and you'll discover that I am gentle, humble, and easy to please, and you will find refreshment and rest in me. All that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Wow. So when we talk about yoke, we think about work, right? We think about plowing the field. Do I have any farmers in the congregation? That Those are the four people who understand that metaphor alone. The rest of us is just limited to movies where we see people pushing something. Well, when Jesus invites invites us, I knew it was going to happen. You should have heard me back there before. I was like, oh, my voice is just going <laughs> to... Joseph. When Jesus in, uh, invites us to join us li- our life with his, it's not an invitation to some kind of ethereal connection far off in the, in the darkness, in the mystery. It's, it's not far off from you right now. It's an invitation to bend our neck to his yoke and work together with him as one. So here's the beauty. The beauty of the yoke is that when you think about work, because some people get turned off when they hear the phrase, bend your, knee, your neck to my yoke. You want to control me. You want to make me work. I, I'm already working so hard. I can't do more work. Oh, this is just so uncomfortable. Although that's anti-scriptural. That's what we think about, right? Bending our knee, because as Rachel mentioned in worship, surrender for our flesh sometimes is difficult. It is not easy to bend our, our, our neck, right? Because we, we have this human nature thing, this flesh thing that's inside of us that's always at war with our spirit, right? So it's not easy to always surrender. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it doesn't, it's counter to what we would like to do. But the Lord is saying that if, if we will bend our neck to his yoke, he will give us peace, rest, and refreshment. He'll become our oasis in the desert. So when we think about this, the beauty of the yoke is that you were already plowing your life field alone. How was that going before Jesus for you? Plowing your field alone? Probably weren't even plowing, right? Just sitting there? Trying to find something to make you happy? Well, Jesus isn't trying to invite you to become his cattle and work harder. He's saying that if you accept his yoke, he will work together with you. You can work in his kingdom field and do work that matters for eternity. Jesus talks about, he says, don't store up your, your treasures where moth and rust destroy, but store up your treasures in heavenly places where, where they'll never be destroyed or ever lose their value, right? So how can, how can we find soul rest? By, by bending our neck to his yoke, right? That's how you find it. That is where soul rest exists, is in submission and surrender to him. And rest the lie that we've swallowed in our culture is that rest is the absence of activity, right? But this isn't just about being able to relax. This is about something greater. Let's go into Hebrews 4. This is the faith rest life. And I'm almost got you to the point where we're gonna figure this all out. Well, you know, for today. <laughs> now, in Hebrews 4, 1, it says, now the promise of entering into God's rest is still for us today. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of the promise and not fail to experience it. Think about that for a second. The promise of rest is still for today. 
So we have to be extremely careful to ensure that we embrace the fullness of the promise and not fail to experience it. Here's a little trick you can do. If you want to know how to apply the word of God in a different way, someone told me this in ministry school, it was kind of cool, is read the verse backwards. Not like, not like you know, word with, joint, like literally backwards, but the ideas and the phrases. So when we are careful to embrace the fullness of the promise and not fail to experience it, the promise of entering God's rest is still for us today. Right? So if we can embrace the promise and not fail, now let's give you some more context to understand what specific promise is being referred to in this passage. It says, for, for we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, and they didn't join their faith with the word. Now, who they're referencing right now is Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament with the promised land, Okay. It says, instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted those spies who went into the land. They doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. And there is your soul rest. Right there. Faith, faith it becomes our access point to enter confident rest. It is the ability to believe the promises of God that we are invited into a supernatural rest that's rooted in the intention and will of God for our lives. And this is why we bend our neck to his yoke. We surrender to his direction. And we lead and work together with a partner who is inexhaustible. Do you get that? Jesus is your partner plowing the field of your life next to you. He doesn't get exhausted. He doesn't get tired. He is in a glorified body. It says in the scripture that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you right now in this room this morning. Some of you came in here and you've been carrying heavy burdens. You've been disconnected from your own life. And Jesus has been sitting at the right hand of the Father because he knew that you would be brought into this room today, that you would hear this message and that he could get through to you and say, hey, the life that you're living, the exhaustion, the disconnection, that's not my intention for you. I have something better for you. I can teach you how to make your life a prayer. I can show you how to find soul rest and I can show you how to be refreshed in the oasis of my presence. Jesus is the best work partner ever. He's inexhaustible and he knows exactly what he's doing. He's, he's been doing it a real long time. Now in verse eight, continue. It says, now if this promise of rest was fulfilled when Joshua brought the people into the land, God wouldn't have spoken later of another rest yet to come. So we conclude that there's still a full and complete Sabbath rest waiting for believers to experience. So in verse 10, this is the one that pops for me. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in him, in them. Catch this. When God created the heavens and the earth, what did he do on the, sixth, on the seventh day? He rested, right? And then we just read right there. It says that as we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works because just as God celebrates his finished works and rests in them. 
You are a finished work in Christ. When Jesus died on the cross and poured out his blood, when he became unrecognizable so that we could be recognizable before him, when he did that and was resurrected in the tomb on that day, it accomplished everything that was needed for you to have access to the Father. And so what happens? We're completed works. What does God do in his completed works? He rests in them. So you your finished and completed work in Christ, his Holy Spirit and his presence, what does it do? It says that it inhabits you. It rests in you. So you are a finished work in Christ. Your salvation, when you came to the Lord and you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, it says in the word that you were saved. So that was complete. That was done. You are rescued. You are in salvation. And his presence rests in you. And that is soul rest. That revelation of understanding the faith to believe. I believe that Jesus really did die for me. That his death paid for everything wrong that I do that would separate me from him. I know that I'm not good enough. I know my own heart. I know the decisions that I've made. I know that there is nothing I could do to earn this kind of relationship with him. But because of his grace and his mercy and his resurrection, he not only covered my sins, but empowered me to live for him. So here I am in this incredible opportunity to say, Lord, if I believe that, then I can learn what it means to be at soul rest. Soul rest sounds pretty good, yeah? I would love that. I like it. So continuing on in Hebrews 4, and we're bringing it in for a landing. Thanks for hanging tight. So then we must, in verse 14, so then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and sympathizes with us in our frailty. Do you get that? He understands what you're going through. You are not facing some kind of like jacked up, mean overseer who doesn't understand. It says right here, he sympathizes with our frailty. He understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are. Sometimes we, when we look at the life of Jesus, we can almost segregate it, right? To the, um, to the movies that we've seen where we see kind of highlights of his public ministry. But if you follow Jesus around in the gospels and you, you dive in and you explore the way that he lived his life, you will see that, that in, I don't even know how to describe it. You'll see that impossible combination of someone who's fully God and fully man living it out righteously before the Lord, not messing up once, not sinning or displeasing his father. It says that he was tempted in every way that we are. So I want you to think about your darkest, grossest, most shame-worthy temptation. And I want to remind you that you're not defined by what tempts you. The enemy would come in and say, you have a desire for that. So that's who you are. You got whole communities trying to label people with those. But that's not what the Lord does. We're not defined by what tempts us. Jesus was tempted in every way that you are. That, that thing that flashed through your mind that maybe you've never told anybody about, he understands that temptation and he conquered it. So now we can draw near freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace that we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. So when Jesus rose and declared it's finished, 
he redeemed humanity forever. Those who confess with their mouth and believe in their hearts are saved. And so our soul rest begins when we have that revelation, I'm complete in Christ. I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe that and allow that faith to fill me up so that, so that the spirit of God that rests in completed works will rest in me. I'm gonna make my life a prayer by, by not only seeing everything through that lens, but I'm gonna make my life a prayer by becoming aware that the spirit that rests in me is one that I can communicate with, talk to, and learn from, right? Jesus said, learn from me. You will see that I'm gentle, humble at heart, and easy to please. He'll teach you. He's a great teacher. In heaven, I've heard this phrase before. It's not really scriptural. It's just funny. It says, in heaven, you don't fail tests. You just repeat them. <laughs> Some of y'all been retaking a few tests, huh? The ones who are laughing like, yep, that's, yeah, I don't know that. Mm. I'm not saying that we don't have work to do. You know, the word tells us that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we, and that we're to be holy as he is holy. But he, this completed work of salvation is one that, we're, that we have to work out, right? We have to figure out how it works. And the work is becoming like our father and not trying to earn closeness with God, but from a, from a, a posture of soul rest, I step into the revelation that Jesus paid for everything for me, right? So in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus invited us to learn his ways and discover these gentle, kind, humble, easy to please. In soul rest, we learn his ways. And Joe, can I get you up here, man? In soul rest, we learn his ways. And this is the last egg I'm gonna drop, I promise. This is the last thing. It's just really good, and I think this is really important for us to get, okay? In soul rest, so we make our life a prayer. That prayer steers us into the mindset of a child that leads us to discover where soul rest is and how to live in soul rest. And then from that point, we learn his ways. You know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in perfect unity with each other. There's no separation or compartmentalization in them. They are one. And this concept is, is pretty natural for the spirit, but not for the flesh, because as many of us know, we like to compartmentalize our lives a lot, right? We can be a different version of ourselves at work, at church, at home. And we can respond and tailor how we show up, right? But while we wear different hats at different moments, God never takes his hat off. He never takes the God hat off. He's the father and the groom, and he's married to his creation. He's, he's coming back for his bride. All of this, this world, us, our lives, everything you see, it's all made up of his words, right? And he's immersed in it. He didn't go to his God lounge and turn off us like a video game or pause us. He is always present and not finite. We can't, we can't conceive that, right? We think about how we only have a certain capacity to think about one person, but the truth is that God is not limited by any of those things. So right now, even in this moment, he can speak to each one of you individually. He knows each one of your circumstances and what you're going through in the most incredibly personal way, and he's not limited at all. Like him pouring his affection on this side of the room doesn't limit him from pouring out on this side. He can do it all. He is amazing. And we're invited to, to build a life that reflects his, learn how to bend our neck to his yoke, right? 
But what are his ways? You see, it says in Psalms 103.7 that he revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. God showed Moses his ways and revealed his character. People of Israel, they only saw the acts and deeds of God. Exodus 33.11, it says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And this is the Old Testament, keep in mind. Why was Moses so special? What about him stood out? And why did God choose to deliver his people? And the answer for this, and I come in for landing with this last verse, is in Exodus 33, 13 through 15. Moses said, if it's true that you look favorably on me, then let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor and remember this nation as your people. And the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and catch this, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine with you. Hmm. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And the same invitation of God that was extended to Moses is offered to us this morning by Jesus. If we will learn to make our life a prayer, stir our faith and enter into the finished work of the cross, which is soul rest. And if we can learn from him and learn his ways and not just his acts, then we can live a life of union with Christ where our life becomes a constant state of worship and communion with God, where our appetite for his word is ever increasing, a state of being that allows us a space in our life to learn the ways of Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Today, are you in unity with Christ? Is your heart centered on Jesus? If I get our ministry teams across the front, if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes, I don't think that there's one thing that's more important in this moment than this right now. If, if, if anything in this service happened that was important and there were so many different things, honoring our grads, remembering our fallen on Memorial Day weekend, this is the most important thing because it is what Jesus paid for everyone to have. So here today, there's an invitation before you. If you'd like to give your heart to the Lord Jesus today, you wanna live in union with Christ, you wanna learn this kind of God, this God that we've been talking about, who, is, who you bend your neck next to and work beside, if that's you, raise your hand, I wanna pray for you. Mm. So good. All right. If you don't stand up on your feet with me, I'm gonna bless you. We're gonna pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I, I invite you into my heart. Come live in me. I surrender my life to you, Father, and I thank you that the death and resurrection of Jesus was enough. I believe. Come into my heart. Amen. All right, Bethel Cleveland. In the name of Jesus, I bless you to go on out of this place and discover a new way of living, to understand what union with Christ is, to be able to make your life a prayer, learn soul rest and learn his ways, that when you go out of this place, that the breathing inhale of his word, exhale of worship would become the ecosystem that brings heaven to earth in your life. I pray that you would hear him when you're in bed at night, when you wake up in the morning, and that the presence of God would enrobe you, cover you, and that you'd sense his closeness more than you ever have before in the mighty name of Jesus. 
Everyone said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so honored to have you. Our, our prophetic ministry teams are lined across the front. We'd love to pray for you. If it's your first or second time, you know the drill. Meet us at the welcome desk. We have a gift for you. Have a really meaningful Memorial Day weekend. We love you. Mwah. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.